0: Hi everyone, and welcome to Boost Her, conversations designed to inspire you, me, and her. I'm your host, Mia Mason, and I'm so excited to welcome you to our Women's History Month episodes where we celebrate women that are changemakers in their own right, be it across their respective careers, side hustles, or perspectives. Hilary LaRose helps us kick off this month's theme as we dive into her role as a materials lead for footwear at On Running. A brand centered around changing the world not just by making running fun but also by helping us cultivate a more sustainable global environment. Hillary talks to us about her start in the industry, how and why sustainability has always been a passion of hers, and even gives us a few tips of our own towards doing our part to keep the planet healthy. We learn that Hillary's path to where she is now has a lot to do with her ability to trust herself, figure out what she wants out of her life, and ultimately trust her gut. And because of that, she's been able to make decisions, even intimidating ones like packing up during a pandemic and moving to Switzerland, that have enriched her life in every way for the better. Lastly, Hillary talks to us about some high and low experiences she's faced both personally and professionally, and how the experiences have pushed her to acknowledge and not feel ashamed of her need for help as it relates to her mental health, They've also taught her to be proud of what she's been able to accomplish throughout her career, from the amazing personal relationships she's built, to the admirable and world-changing career milestones she has accomplished and will continue to accomplish. All right, welcome to the Booster Club for the first episode of our Changemakers Month. I'm so glad to have you here. We recently had a former coworker of yours, Tosh Salter, in the booster club for Boss Booster Month. And we learned that her role also lives in that realm of materials. Can you talk about how your role differs from and also works in tandem with what we learned from Tosh?
1: Yeah, definitely. Tosh loved working with her. She's so innovative with color and materials. And so, basically our roles were attached at the hip where you're developing and creating materials with your design counterpart. And Tosh was one of mine. And so we would sit down and the product would be briefed by the PM team. And so we'd be sitting in together on those briefings. Sometimes we would do consumer research together, a lot of store shopping, a lot of what material is on this. And I would use my expertise to answer that question. And we would talk about how to create the product while trying to achieve that brief and you know that design ideal. That is very much my role in the operations side of materials, supporting someone on the design side like Tosh in materials.
0: Your role makes my life easier because it allows me to sort of throw out these crazy ideas. But then I get to say, but you figure out how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. An interesting thing about your journey is that early on in your career, you made a decision to quit a certain role you were working in without having a backup plan, which we hear it for the obvious reasons. It's not the best move to make, but for you, it turned out to be one of your best decisions. What was it about the role you were working in that sort of caused you to walk away from it in that manner? And can you detail all the positives that came from you making that decision?
1: It was kind of my first. I've made it type of role in, I want to say mid twenties. I had been promoted up to a higher level after being at the same place for several years and really worked my way up. I had a really terrible commute. I was commuting pretty far by car, which I did not like. And I was so exhausted. I would just spend my weekend sleeping and laying around, like not even really doing things that were fulfilling to me. I just wasn't living life and here I was pretty young and pretty new in my career and it was already taking everything out of me and I felt really used in that position because I I was one of the few people on a salary and not hourly but I was being overutilized and overused way too far because I was on salary and I felt I, I did I felt very used in this position You know, I I didn't have the tools I have now about setting boundaries, about using my voice and speaking up. And so I I made the decision to leave that role without a backup plan. You know, looking back is, seems a bit knee jerk, but for me, it was very calculated of I'm going to get back to who I am and Mm -hmm. I'm also going to get back to what I deserve. And then I made a long list of what I was looking for in the next role. And it's something that I've, I've done several times now in my career. And it's always great to go and look at the next role you get and see how does it fit within that list. And then the next role I got, I actually ended up meeting my now husband at. So it really changed my life.
0: This is something that I love to ask the women that join us in the Booster Club that are in careers or fields that skew towards more male dominated, because the answer is always so unique and eye-opening for me. So a bit of a selfish question, but... How do you find being a woman, and in a lot of cases, the only woman in your role or across your different teams has played a part in your career throughout the years?
1: It's happened so many times. You look around a meeting and you're like, I'm the only one here. Yeah. And I'm at the point now where I say it. I say, you need more women in the room. Yeah. <laughs> or we need more diversity in the room, which is also a big thing and can mean a lot of different things now, especially as I'm experienced over here in Europe and trying to make sure that there are more voices because I've been a part of projects where it's a lot of the same voice and then the project fails and everyone's like trying to figure out why it fails. And it's like, maybe we should look at the room. But it took me years to get to that. Sometimes you have to be uncomfortable to get to a place where you can feel more comfortable. And so when I walk into a room and it has... More diverse voices, more female voices, then that's me getting to place where I feel more comfortable. You know, I think some of it is kind of like being able to like blow up things a little bit. Like I left a job previously without a backup plan and I made a big move across country when I was 22 on a bit of a whim, wasn't sure if it was going to work out. And so I, I know I have that in my personality. And so why not play into that? gotten me in trouble in some ways and some funny stories, but maybe I can actually like use it for good. That's kind of what I'm trying to do because, you know, we don't all have the same personalities. We don't have the same traits, but that's what I want more of is the mixing of that because that's what makes a great team.
0: Because you are the only or the room doesn't have a ton of diversity in it. Do you worry about voicing an opinion that no one else can really subscribe to when you're in those rooms and you are trying to blow it up?
1: Oh, for sure. Like I'll walk out and be like, oh, "Man, oh I probably shouldn't have said that. Yeah. And then a few times it just surprised me where people will come to me one on want to be like, you know, I'm glad you said that. Or, hey, thanks for speaking up and saying that. You know, it can go both ways. Maybe it becomes the... <laughs> I also don't want to be the person that's always speaking up and I'm not allowing someone else to have a voice. I want to be careful about that. That just because I feel more comfortable because I've made a practice of trying to speak up when I feel this way. I don't want to stop someone else from speaking up because they might have a different point of view. That's also really important. I think as I've just gotten older and being in this industry for longer, I can see and understand when I can do that better. Now I can read the room, have an influence and feel comfortable having an influence or potentially feeling comfortable with making. People feel uncomfortable.
0: It's a balancing act between knowing when to say something, knowing when to listen, and also knowing how to elevate someone else. I know you've got years on me in the game. So it's something that I'm learning, and I'm glad you've gotten to a place where you feel good about it. But it does lead me to my next question, which is what is that one piece of advice that you, without fail, would tell to every young woman seeking career advice? I would say trust your gut
1: because that's what has gotten me. Everywhere I've been. When I was 22, it was 2008. The world was kind of burning economically and no one was graduating with jobs. And I had an opportunity to do AmeriCorps and no one in my family had heard about it. And they're like, You're going to do what? You're going to be on government assistance and work with children and they're going to help pay your student loans. That's crazy. Why don't you just get a job at a restaurant or something like that, you know, until things get better? But I was like, no, like, I think this is going to get me closer to like my actual goals. And my goals were, I went to school for environmental studies. So I wanted to do something in that field and working at a restaurant was like not going to get me closer. And so instead I went and did environmental education with kids and I got to move from the East coast to the West coast of the U S and I'd never been that far. I'd never been to Seattle where I moved and I knew I wanted to travel and I knew It's going to open up doors for me. And I didn't want to be in some of the bad cycles I was in of not really pushing myself to be the person I knew I wanted to be. And so by putting myself in this uncomfortable situation of at 22 moving far away, I felt like I did not have any support from anybody. Everyone thought I was nuts. Yeah. And I was. But at the same time, I trusted my gut and I just knew I was doing the right thing. And then when I quit a job that wasn't fulfilling me and just exhausting me with no backup plan, I was trusting my gut and everyone thought I was crazy. And then when I met my husband and we got engaged pretty quickly in our relationship, <laughs> like I just knew, you know what I mean? Like I trusted my gut. And then when this opportunity came to move to Europe with a two-year-old in a pandemic, once again, it was like getting me closer to goals, getting us closer, you know, our family closer to goals. And it's already paid off. It's already gotten us closer to what we wanted to do. And while there's been challenges along the way, if I wouldn't have just listened to that little voice inside of me that said, this is what you want, being able to live some dreams and do that is because I wasn't listening to what the safe thing was or the things somebody else had done that worked for them. I was listening to the little voice inside of myself that was saying, you can do this. Okay, we're
0: celebrating changemakers this month in the Booster Club. And I know your role centers around sustainability in a big way. But even better, it's a personal passion of yours. In what ways do you view sustainability as a changemaker? And this can be either from your personal or career or both, the lens of where you see sustainability.
1: Sustainability has been a passion of mine since I was in the second grade, thanks to my wonderful teacher, Mr. Davy, who's still like a close family friend. And he really inspired me. He would wear like a tie made from a recycled tire. And he started Earth Day cleanups at our school. You know, we would do all kinds of things around the earth and growing up on a farm. It's just a huge part of who I am. And when I picked out my degree at college... I just looked for anything that had environmental under it. And that's why I chose the degree I did, because that's all I knew I wanted to do. Growing up in West Virginia, it's a natural resource state. And at that point, they were just taking the tops off mountains and making them as flat as a soccer field. And I was really upset about what was happening to my home. And so it really influenced me. It was something that when I first started at Adidas... I was trying to do things on a small scale, just you know, my life choices and things like that. And I think sometimes the world gets caught up in that is that we're all telling each other what we should be doing on an individual level, but what's really gonna move the needle is changing industries. And so our voices can be powerful if we join them together to make changes within these industries. I had worked in sustainability nonprofits for almost a decade at that point. Why would you go into footwear? I thought you liked sustainability. And for me, it was like, I can do something on a much bigger scale. And the first parlay issue had come out and I was like, I want to be part of that. Yeah. I want to see that on like everybody's foot. And I want to know how that's made because I think everybody could do that. And that's what I talked about in my first interview for the job I ended up getting was exactly that about being attracted to that and wanting to do more of that and learning how that was made. and that passion for how is it made and how can we do it better is why I'm still here, why I'm so passionate about my career in materials. Because how we make things has a huge impact on our planet. When brands made this big shift to recycled, immediately huge needle shift. And now it's looking at the combination of things. Are we using things that are made from nature? Are we figuring out how to Recycle and reuse things that are already made? Are we never owning a pair of shoes as on the company I'm at now is doing with their Cyclone project? And a lot of other brands like Patagonia, where they're looking at how do we mend our product? How do we make our product last? Columbia, I have a bunch of kids' stuff from Columbia. They have a little label inside their coat where you can write multiple names, literally thinking about the consumer of, hey, kids grow out of things really fast. We both know how hands-on footwear and apparel production still are today. There's still craftspeople making them. So what does that look like? Because it's not that everything is going to go back to the way it was 200 years ago, but it's more like looking at what worked in the way that we did things 200 years ago and what can we still do on a global scale and how can we increase awareness about that so then the consumer, when they're going in and buying something, their understanding the life cycle of that product, the production of that product. And what do you do when you're done with that product? Does it go in a landfill or can it be recycled? There's a couple of different ways to recycle products now. And a lot of brands are doing a ton of work on that. Years ago, brands came together and, and talked about sustainability. And I think that hopefully will continue to happen where the large brands and the small brands can unite. And then The small businesses as well can also benefit from these conversations because our economy is of so many different scales and there's room for everybody to have a piece of the sustainability pie and really work towards reducing CO2 and finding ways to put less waste back into the earth.
0: You've made it to our Booster Up segment. Each booster across season two gets the same two questions. And the fun part of it all is just unique and differing perspectives that we get around the same two questions. So I'm just going to head right in if you're ready. I'm ready. All right. We all know the journey includes a spectrum of peaks and valleys, highs and lows along the way. What is a significant low that you faced along your journey? And how do you feel like you best made it through?
1: Oh, gosh. You know, when we had our son, he was born with liver failure. That was something that was not caught in all the prenatal things that you do. He was fully termed. He was a healthy weight. And there's just something off when they did his glucose, his blood sugar test. Luckily, at Good Sam in Portland, great hospital, great care there. The pediatrician on call just could tell something was wrong and recommended a transfer to the NICU over at Randall across the river it became pretty clear that his liver was just not working. And we were transferred to Stanford for a liver transplant. And so while we spent gosh, about six weeks in three different hospitals with our newborn, two different states, his liver healed itself and we were able to go home. And funny story, the first night, our first night with our newborn, he's six weeks old at this point. We've come through one of the hardest, most stressful things. There's an earthquake, and we're staying in an Airbnb in Northern California because we decided to drive back from Palo Alto and go see the Redwoods and just kind of shake the dust off of <laughs> six clear. weeks in a hospital yeah. cleanse. And there's an earthquake at like 3 a.m. And it was, a, oh, what an experience. That was extremely hard because I just gave birth. I did not get to recover. I lived on a hospital couch. And then we lived at the Ronald McDonald house in Palo Alto. And then my husband had to go back to work. And I suffered from postpartum anxiety like immediately, completely normal. But you don't have to go through something like I did to have that happen or to have postpartum depression. It took me kind of like giving in and realizing I needed to ask for help. And I'm so happy I did. My doctor prescribed me an antidepressant. And I was able to start feeling like myself again. But it was really hard to deal with the emotions you didn't deal with for six weeks. And then also take care of a sick child and not really have anyone there to take care of you. Definitely a low point. But his liver completely healed. You look at him today, there are no signs other than like one tiny little scar on his leg from a pick line.
0: I'm sure... Dylan's liver, you know, starting to heal itself helped you with easing the anxiety and stress and all that, but only to an extent. And I love when we get into these conversations about mental health, Tosh did too on her episode. And we got a lot of really great messages coming in, appreciating her opening up about it because I don't think we normalize, like you said it when you were talking, it's, it's so normal to have postpartum depression or anxiety and just normalizing these things that we sometimes make ourselves feel ashamed for. I think it's really helpful to the conversation overall.
1: I think we idealize pregnancy and there's always the thing of like, oh my God, everyone's so nice to you until you have the baby. And it's true. Like everyone will hold a door open for you. People will help you carry things. And then you have the kid and you are out there, if at least if you're me, haggard. <laughs> and you're just pushing a stroller around and Maybe your kid's falling asleep. And so you're like, oh my God, I can go on Reddit and read about all the Real Housewives episodes I've missed that I'm going to watch while I'm pumping. Then people be like, oh, I can't believe she's on her phone around her kid. And it's like, oh my gosh, do you not know? I get like five minutes to myself right now and I'm going to take these (laughs) precious moments and do something that makes me feel good, even if it seems stupid or selfish. We think parents and not just mom, but just parents, that you have to give everything constantly to every everyone around you. And when you take care of yourself, it's like you're not a good mom if you're taking care of yourself. But it's the airplane thing. It's you put your oxygen mask on first before you help anyone mm-hmm. because you can't help put on someone else's if you're passed out. And that's why they tell you that on airplanes. And it's so true as a parent is that you have to take care of yourself. And so for me that very much look like having time to exercise, whether it was just a gentle yoga class or a walk and being on an antidepressant and going to therapy every week, really kind of creating like a recipe for lack of a better term, a recipe of what are the things that are gonna help you feel like you. And then it just kind of starts to become ingrained in your life. And as your kid gets older, Things change, and you you kind of look back and you're like, "Wow, how did I get through that?" You have to take care of yourself, and you have to find the things that allow you to take care of yourself, and you have to ask for help.
0: How about a significant high along your journey, and what growth was required for you to reach that particular peak?
1: I feel like I have like two that are linked. I recently made a big career change. I left Audi after being there for almost six years, and I went to On Running, and it's linked because audie made some changes and my position was going to move and at the same time on was recruiting for a position that i was really excited about and i had my exit interview with audie with the predetermined leave date i stayed until that and with my hr representative she was just like it's been wonderful having you here and you're leaving in such a positive like on such good terms way and just know like the door is always open. And then I go and start my new job and they're like, we're so happy to have you here. We've been waiting for you. We're so excited to have you on the team. And a lot of times, and even in my own career, it hasn't been like that. It's been like, I got to get out of something. This isn't working for me. But to feel like I did really great work and I made these lasting relationships and I did work that meant something to me and I worked with people that still mean something to me, And then to go start something new and be really excited about it. For me, that's been such a career high because I have such a warm place in my heart for the work I did and all the people I worked with. And now I have this really exciting, fun, new challenge. And I've been there for several months now. I feel really comfortable already. We worry about when we change jobs, like, oh gosh, how am I going to do in the interpersonal dynamics? and. I know how to work at this one place, but will it translate to the next? And so having this really positive experience of I'm getting to bring good vibes or positive feelings with me and get to do work that I love doing, I've just felt reassured that I made the right decision for me. An affirmation
0: of what you're doing career-wise, but also continuing to affirm you trusting your gut. Exactly. I love that. And we're done. I mean, that's it for
1: today's episode. Is there anything else you want to add before I let you go? Well, we talked about this offline, but I think that as soon as I come back to Portland, we need to go play badminton together because (laughs) that would be really, really fun. I think that we have plenty of sneaker talk and apparel talk to catch up on. And so it's been so fun getting to chat with you again. And I just think your podcast is so important in the industry because there's so many stories out there of women just like us that make products and go through all kinds of different things in our careers and you're uplifting those stories and it's so important.
0: I really appreciate that and I'm always down for badminton as long as you let me pick the beverage and it's, <laughs> it's not going to be Gatorade. I'll tell you. <laughs> I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Boost Her, conversations designed to inspire you, me, and her. Hillary's work in the world of sustainability and with On Running is something we admire and are so grateful she has educated us on today. We will be constantly staying tuned to her efforts for global environmental health. And to make sure you're in the know right along with us, be sure to give us a follow on Instagram at Boost Her Podcast, all one word. Women's History Month is just getting started here in the Booster Club and we have a few more guests that you won't want to miss help us round out the month as well as the season overall. Like and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform to be there as we round out season two of Boost Her Podcast. Again, thank you for listening to Boost Her, where we will happily pull up a seat at the table for you as a reminder that while individually we may be great, collectively we are magic.